Welcome to Tuesday's Book Club, an intimate community of book lovers that want to explore intriguing, controversial, and mind-pulling stories from around the globe. Every show, we bring you thoughts and perspectives that will make you go, hmm. Grab your books and join myself, Nova Lorraine, and my co-hosts, Toby Santagato and Barbara Donato, every two weeks for a new book that will change your life. Welcome to another episode of Tuesday's Book Club on Pink Kangaroo Network. This is Nova Lorraine, and I am here with my co-hosts, Toby Santagato and Barbara Donato. Hi, ladies. Hello. Hi. <laughs> so for our listeners that are joining us for the first time, Tuesday's Book Club is a club for you. It's a club for book lovers. And what we do is we select stories that are smart fiction and thought provocative nonfiction for individuals that are on a journey of growth. So we are looking for books that are going to push the fold and force you to really think and dig deep and maybe even change some aspect about you or your life, or maybe it'll make you see life a little differently. So our next two books, um, besides the one that we're covering today, which is Chanel by Alex Madsen, get a pen and paper, guys. Our next two books, so you guys can follow along, is Proof of Heaven by Eben Alexander, MD. And the Delaney Sisters, First 100 Years by Amy Hill Hearth, Annie Elizabeth Delaney, and Sarah Lewis Delaney. And you definitely want to follow along with those really, really great books. And for those of you that are super ambitious and want to read even further ahead, we are then looking at Neverwhere by Neil Gaiman. Okay, so let's focus in on the book that we're covering today, which is one of my favorites. It's the fashion icon, the most notable fashion icon of all time, Coco Chanel. And the name of the book is Chanel, A Woman of Her Own. Again, the author is Alex Madsen. This book was published in 1990. And I'll just read you a little bit about the story published by the publishers. Chanel, the name alone evokes fashion and perfume, emancipation and allure. In this revealing intimate biography, Axel Madsen brings to life Gabrielle Coco Chanel, who was born an illegitimate pauper and rose to become the reigning queen of fashion who revolutionized women's styles forever. Madsen traces Chanel's extraordinary life from her beginnings as an orphan to the first small boutique she opened in 1910, using her lover's financial backing to the founding of the House of Chanel where she altered a look of fashion entirely, inventing sportswear, the little black dress, costume jewelry, and the perfume that Marilyn Monroe said was all she wore to bed. Although loved by many men, Coco remained wed only to her business. And when she died in 1971, at the age of 88, she was wealthy, an international celebrity, and utterly alone. Lavishly illustrated with photographs of Coco Chanel and her celebrated circle of friends and lovers, Chanel, a woman of her own, is the story of the magnificent woman whose legend lives on. And that's a description by Maximilian Publishers. And so I'm going to turn the mic over to my two co-hosts, and I like to hear what they think of Chanel. 
Well, I own a black dress, a little black dress. <laughs> so thank you, Chanel. And I just bought the perfume and it is quite lovely. I don't get any money for uh, promoting that, but it was interesting learning, <laughs> learning her process on how she made the perfume, just always fighting to be her own self and her own identity, even included in how she built her perfume. So I was curious and the book suckered me in and I, I'm enjoying the scent. But yeah, it was interesting. Definitely interesting book for sure. How about you, Barbara? I'm fascinated by Chanel. She, this woman was amazing. I, I just love from the start of her life all the way um, to her death. She, she reminded me so much of, uh, what was that book? There's a, just one of those, those 1920s books where you have someone who happens to uh, challenge the, the status quo. Mm-hmm. And not only did she, mm-hmm. did she challenge it, but she overcame it to be who she was, to be able to go from someone who literally, I mean, honestly, she was in those times, nothing to somebody right. who was almost engaged to a Duke. I mean, it's just this, this woman's life was just such a powerful testament of when you have a will, there is a way. <laughs> so, so true. I mean, what's also fascinating to me is that her company is currently valued at $9 billion, at least as of a couple of years ago, with 20,000 employees. It's still headquartered in Paris and it's owned by the descendants of the, two gen- of the original person that made the perfume deal with her. And it's a still privately held company. So even after her death, many years after her death, her company is still thriving. And, you know, I mentioned it's one of my favorites and it's because Chanel is a real person. You know, a lot of times you're reading about fictional books and incredible characters um, in those books. But here is a woman, a real woman that lived a fairy tale life. I mean, she was the Cinderella without the prince. And to see that happen in a time period where she defied what the norms were, decided to break all the rules and not care, you know, in the early 1900s was also extremely interesting. And this is about a personality that, that lived in France and some of the time in Italy. And so it's not an American character. So that also the journey and adventure that we are sort of living alongside her as she's growing up, as she's becoming a woman and becoming one of the world's most notable fashion designers was also intriguing to me. Yeah, I think it's interesting um, for those of you that have not read the book, but are just in love with listening to us speak. You know, (laughs) she was basically, she did have parents, but was basically raised in an orphanage and really didn't have that foundation. She had siblings. And a lot of times you'll see a group of successful children that have parents that instilled a certain type of wisdom into them. She doesn't have that. Her siblings are nothing like her. So she, it's like it was internal. It was like something that empowered her that came from within that's unique in her situation because she didn't, she wasn't raised to have any of that available to her. It just evolved in, in just her own determination. Yeah. You know, I found it was like all of her disadvantages, what appeared to be her disadvantages at first sort of played to an advantage for her later in life. You know, as you mentioned, she was orphaned, I think it was six years old, guys, if I'm not mistaken. Her mother had passed away. Her father pretty much, you know, dropped them off at a, at least the, the girls at a nunnery. And then her brothers ended up becoming indentured servants working on a farm. 
And she went from having no parents to being able to finish schooling in, was it Paris? No, it was somewhere in, it was somewhere near Paris that she continued her schooling and then ended up getting a job. And then that job allowed her to meet her suitor. And so it was that determination and grit to not fall on, fall into the same path that her mother fell into, who ended up dying on the road because she was very sickly and always trying to find her husband, who was a traveling salesman. You know, what I also found fascinating about her was during that time of the turn of the century, early 1900s, it was still a class system out there. She really would not have hobnobbed with the elite, but she lucked out in meeting one of the elite himself who kind of went against the grain. So he, he was a thes- well, he wanted to be into thoroughbred horses. So in his, for him, he didn't care whether you were a stable boy or whether you were the king of France. If you were into horses, he was going to associate himself with you. So of course, this is the person that she meets and she um, ends up in a relationship with. And I think that uh, relationship kind of showed her how to uh, be comfortable in an area where she honestly should not have fit in. People of her stature would have been downstairs, whereas the man that she was with would have been upstairs, if you understand that reference from back in those days. And here she is meeting with uh, dignitaries, talking to people. And then two in the book, it talks about how she kind of looked at them and realized that they had their own issues, that they weren't in their relationships, in their everyday life with their concerns and, and what was going on. They really were not much different than she was. I just found it so these were people who were, went to the best schools. They dealt with the best of everything, the best food, the best music. And, and this was a woman who did not and was not raised that way. And yet she was able to be in that environment. Well, I think she had like a presence. If you remember, it's hard because we're here and that was then and we really cannot fathom the way it was then. But just even yeah. then, they still rode side saddle. And then she got on the horse and she rode it straight on like a man. And, you know, she was, they, everyone would say she had, wasn't that she was a natural beauty, but she was striking. She had a way that she presented herself. So imagine a woman that's attractive, that's has a strong enough personality to get on a horse regular. And this guy is looking even nowadays when women have a personality that stands out, there's an attraction towards that. And his name was boy, boy Capel. He liked that. He liked that. She was sure of herself. And I think that was what drew him to her, that not only was he interested in horses and she seemed to be interested in them, but just someone so different than average woman at the time, I think was part of the allure for him. Yeah, no, that's a really good point, Toby. And even before, what what was so interesting to me was even before meeting Boy, her lover, her suitor, um, this thoroughbred lover, he had a mistress an older mistress, and he brought Chanel into his home and he was intrigued by what they had in common in terms of their defiance to the norms. And she never appeared jealous or felt upstaged by this other woman. And as Barbara mentioned, she came in, she, she would sleep late, she would read the papers, and she really was comfortable in this environment, even though she never grew up around it. 
And most individuals would get jealous or have an issue with their significant other already being with someone else. (laughs) But she was like, oh, okay, this is what I got to do. This is what I got to do. And it was so contrary to what was acceptable for a woman at that time. And most people don't know that in terms of her early beginnings. So that was interesting. And that speaks to her confidence, her being assured of herself and who she was, even though she didn't grow up in a nice home with loving support system around her. She was determined from day one to have a different life. And she was very keen on associating with individuals that would help educate her or allow or give her that platform to get to the next level. Yes. And then also, Toby, like, I think in addition to what you were saying with the relationship that she had with um, Boy Capel, I think one of the things that made him also be so attracted to her was she wanted to work. She was ambitious. She, you know, wanted to put her foot into everything that she came up with. And he, as someone too, that, that also had that need to produce. I think in, in that time when most women, their ambition was to get married or to be taken care of. And she was a woman who wanted to take care of herself. I, it made me wonder like how, like this is somebody that he's not used to seeing. And it was just so appealing to him, even with her in the beginnings of her life. I brought up in the beginning of the 1920s novel, I was thinking F. Scott Fitzgerald, The Great Gatsby. She literally created Mm. her own past so that she could like redefine her future. She was not going to be what she was supposed to be, just like her mother chasing after a man or getting married and, and settling down with all these kids. No, she was going to do it her way. And I think that too, that tenacity, that spirit of hers is what attracted so many people to her. Yeah, that's, I'm glad you brought that up, Barbara, in terms of Coco recreating this fantasy past life of hers that didn't exist. And her father was this successful mercantile in America. And that's why he was never around. And how she spent her summers, you know, all these stories that were fictional, but she probably got inspired by the women that she met and the wealthy individuals she met when she was at Tian's estate. And she used that knowledge, the papers she was reading, the romance novels she was reading to fabricate this life of hers, her early beginnings, you know, how she was raised. So she would be able to be accepted into this class that she was trying so desperately to enter. I think what happened though, if I were to look at her vulnerabilities is I think whether she realized it or not, she had not respected the fact that her mom would chase after the dad and not even make her or her siblings important. She also didn't like the vulnerability also being abandoned like that. And I I think like when she was, when Boy Capel had a mistress and she did not care about it, it was because if she cared, she was vulnerable to be hurt. And she never, ever really wanted to be hurt like that or to be vulnerable. And it became like a strong suit for her, which became very attractive. And then I think it evolved kind of into her personality. But I think deep down inside, I'm no psychoanalyst. I mean, if you're not going to get hurt, you have to be okay in those situations. You have to be a big, brave girl and not allow anything to hurt you. And so I think that became, in the end, maybe her the final straw for her of officially being lonely the rest of her life. But in the beginning, it became an attraction because she was, you know, protecting herself. I won't do what my mom did. I won't chase after him. He can have as many mistresses as he wants because it doesn't matter because I'm good. I'm good on my own. 
Yeah, I remember her saying she didn't realize someone could die twice. I mean, for a child to think that she died twice already as a child, and I believe the first time was when her mother passed, and then the second time was when the second time was when she was put into the home. Right. Orphanage or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, the orphanage. And maybe the first time was when her mother left her and her siblings to try to find the dad and just left them. So to compare your pain to death is, I mean, I can't even imagine what she was going through to protect herself so much as an adult, like you said, Toby, where she built this wall to ultimately be alone, you know, to die alone. And did she really avoid what she was trying to from the very beginning? I don't know. I don't think so, but it's attractive when you see a woman, especially back in the 1930s or whatever, 1920s, and they're just so, they look so strong and stoic Mm -hmm. and they've got their Mm -hmm. crap together Mm -hmm. and they don't need anyone. And it's, all the men were very attracted to the her, I think because of that, because all the women were not self-sufficient and it was just normal for back then. And they all wanted the ring and she drew them to her that way. But if you remember, she really didn't date anybody the bulk of her life that was single. So to, at the very end, realize that she really wishes that she maybe did things differently and and wasn't so lonely. She didn't really ever really honestly attempt to make that work out for herself or she wouldn't have picked married men, I don't think. Well, let me ask you, you both a question. Do you think Chanel was in love more than once? Do you think that with all the men that she dated besides Boy Capel? Yeah, I think, I mean, granted, Boy Capel was her, was the love of her life. I think she was very affected by his death. But I do think that she loved the Duke of Westminster. Mm-hmm. I think he was the closest to what she had with Boy Capel than anyone that she was with. Yeah, I think she did love him. I just don't think that the love that she had was the kind of love that would support a relationship in the end that would leave her less lonely. Yes. There's types of love, you know, and and the what she was able to relinquish was not enough to really become a wife and and all those things. And I don't think at the end of the day, she probably wished she would have done it different, but it had become so much her life. It's like waking up and telling yourself you're going to, you know, use your left hand the whole day, but in the middle of the day, you're using your right hand again. I mean, it just, how do you separate the two? And I think it just became who she was. How do you feel about how she handled the relationship with Boy Capel prior to him deciding to marry someone else? I mean, I remember her making a statement, something to the fact that she will never marry him unless she does. She will only marry him if she doesn't need him. She doesn't have to depend on him for his money. But yet he was the one financing the beginnings of her business. And he was the one who she truly loved, if we were going to say, the love of her life. But yet she refused to get married to him. And then we know what happened. Tragically, he died. And so she was hoping one day when she made it, you know, and she was rich and famous. And finally, she was at his level. They can get married because she really didn't need him at that point financially and didn't need to depend on him. And then circumstances took him away. What do you guys think about how she handled that relationship and if she should have done anything different? It's so hard because, I mean, we think about, I mean, in this day and age, yes. I mean, definitely. I think she would have been able to arrive where she had arrived and been able to say, yes, you know, I'm going to marry you. But back then, 
when I honestly, I believe that one thing that held her back was her past. I wonder if she felt that she ever would have gotten to a point where she was equal to him, where she felt equal to him. I don't think so. I don't think she ever would have. Yeah, I don't think she would have either because that her past is constantly dogging her. She was affected by her mother's death. I know she was affected by Julia's death. They adopted Andres, the nephew. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he did as well. But again, it's just, would she have felt, would she really truly have felt, you know, with all the money that she amassed and, and all the quote unquote power that she amassed, would she still have felt equal to him based on her own past? And, and if, what if somebody would have brought it up? I think that also dogged her that maybe the, the truth might've come out. Yeah. Living a lie, you can't get too close to somebody because then you have to share your lie with somebody else. So you kind of have like a bubble around you. I mean, she probably would have re- kept redefining. You keep moving that finish line. Oh, but I need that. And if they were comfortable enough with the way things were, it's easy to say you would have married someone if they're dead now. Oh, what did I do? But I don't know if she would have ever been solidly comfortable thinking that she was not needing him anymore. Because remember, needing for her really isn't about money. She defined it as money, but the needing from her is, will you guarantee not to leave me? And we never, nobody ever knows that. Whether he dies or he changes his mind, he did have affairs. We know that people, when they have an affair with someone, you say, well, they could have it again. So at what point would she ever absolutely 100% trust that she wouldn't be left? And nobody knows that. She certainly didn't. So I don't know if she'd ever get there personally. I don't, I don't know. That is true. You know, it's tragic. She was really quite a spectacular person, but even the people that she loved, she, there was like a structure around it. And she always had like, so she was very giving on one hand, but then to her friends, but then to her employees, she was, she was cruel in terms of how she treated them, how she paid them. And she always had this sort of juxtaposition about her. And I wonder why, why was she able to be so open and so giving and really would put herself out of her way for her friends? I mean, some of these friends are ridiculous. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, they were. And they really took advantage of her. But yes. then when a seamstress of what, 10, 15 years asks you for a tiny bit of a raise, you let her go? Like, what was that all about? Gee, I don't know. I reread the part of when they when her employees threatened to walk out in, in 1936 and all, and what she went through with them and the bitterness that she felt towards them. And cause I couldn't get it. Like where she came from, you would think that she would understand, you right. know, their plight. And, but I, I did, I thought about it. And I, I think in her mind, if she could get past all the difficulty in her life, she didn't understand why they couldn't get past all the difficulty in their life. I, I think she felt like they needed to be strong like she was strong. They mm. needed to be able to handle it like she was able to handle it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and also like in her, I'm able to get out of it. And here I am. If you can't get out of where you are, then you're just going to have to deal with what life gave you. I really feel like that's how. And so when they're like, wait a minute, I'm going to stay in this position, but this is what I need. She was kind of appalled. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're here because of you, so you just need to deal with it. And she didn't expect, yeah, like you said, she didn't expect it. And I think it pissed her off. Like, how dare you and want to stay in that position, but want more? You should just want to be there and stay there. Do you think, no, those those are really good points. I'm wondering, it doesn't talk much, and she never talked much about her life with the nuns. And 
I think that had a huge, if not one of the greatest impacts on her outside of her father abandoning her and the mother passing. Because the colors she used in her collection, the fabric she used in her collection, mm-hmm. her simple, yeah, her simple perspective of design and style and everything. But I wonder if the nuns were cruel to her. And this was sort of her acting out what she experienced. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Bet you, because I feel like they probably, it was a very structured place for her. And she kind of looked back with, in a way that said, I needed that to be as great as I am. And so maybe she thought if she gave them those same structures, that's what you do. And then it's up to you Mm -hmm. where you go with that. And she really looked back. She never really looked back on that as a bad thing, that structure. She always looked back at that as like, thank goodness I had that. Maybe she was thinking, thank goodness she was giving them that structure. I, I don't, that I don't know. Yeah, because when she really didn't like a situation, she really talked about her disdain for something, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's true. But she didn't really, when she talked about her time with the nuns, she, it was kind of like a lesson. Like whenever she talked about it, she talked about it as if it was a lesson for her. It was like a, a stepping stone to get to where she was. Like important. Like I don't, yeah, she wouldn't rewrite that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely, but you know what I think about what you were saying, Nova, about like the fact that she was so giving to her friends. You ever notice that all of her friends, not the people that were like, wow, how was she friends with like these famous, famous people, right? I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the friends that she gave to all the time, like left and right, money here, money there. The bulk of her friends like that, none of them really, they always needed her. She picked people that needed her. Mm. So she would never be hurt by them. She didn't pick people that were above her and she needed them. She was very careful to be giving and to require people around her that she was the one being needed consistently. So I think that that went again with the, I'm not going to get hurt. You guys will always need me. And she picked ones that kind of were ridiculously needy and she kept giving and they kept requiring her to give. Yeah. And she loved that dynamic. Oh, and I'm needed, I'm needed, I'm needed, I'm needed. I want to read some of her quotes because she is known for her quotes and just want to get your take on some of these. The best color in the whole world is the one that looks good on you, Coco Chanel. Mm. Don't spend time beating on a wall, hoping to transform it into a door. Oh, that's good. Yeah. A woman who cuts her hair is about to change her life. (laughs) True. In order to be irreplaceable, one must always be different. Oh, that's what I was saying, right? You're riding the horse regular instead of side saddle. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. yeah. Like she lived by that. Yeah. I was, that was, I want to say that's her defining rule of everything you just read. That's her. Even cutting her hair short when everyone was wearing it feminine and long. Be wearing bridges when yep. women were not even doing that, you know? Yep. Or being the mistress and being okay being the mistress and being okay being right. the mistress of someone that has a mistress. Like, right. <laughs> what? Being the mistress of a man with a mistress. Dude, no, no, not in this household. <laughs> One last quote My life didn't please me, so I created my life. Absolutely. Oh, nice. That's for sure. Her. Absolutely. Yeah. She did that. She created her past and she. Recreated her past. Yeah. So for the listeners, she, as she got older and older, the, her origination and her true story got further and further from the truth. So if anybody hasn't read that, that was what she pretty much would create this false past to fit with what she thought 
the way she was made sense in the present. Well, let's talk a little bit about what ifs. And Chanel was such a complicated woman for many reasons. For those that haven't read the book, as you read, and it goes into detail about her childhood and growing up as a teen and a young woman. And, you know, as I was reading it, I was trying to put myself in that position and say, well, what would I have done? How would I have handled this? That, you know, so on and so forth. And what I learned from this was Coco Chanel actually was a performer for a hot minute. She tried to sing and act and dance. Yeah. It wasn't good at any of them. <laughs> but she tried her hand at performance before going into fashion. So I thought that was fascinating. So let's talk about some what ifs, um, looking at some major circumstances in her life and if she made a different choice or if things went differently, where would Chanel be? What would her life have looked like afterwards? Who would like to start? I think that for me, my big what if would be if she ended up moving to America, because at one point she is brought to America to, is it MGM? One of the big movie houses. Yeah, Goldwyn. Uh, Goldwyn. Yeah. And a lot of people hear Chanel and they, they think, you know, we all, Americans are so American, you know, oh, she's from America or she was in America. And I thought it was interesting. She really wasn't. She came a little bit, but she, she was a Parisian and she, you know, she was in Paris. She, that's where she wanted to be the bulk of the time. You know, she went to Switzerland. She traveled mm-hmm. a lot. She was very wealthy, but France was where she really pretty much resided her whole life. And I think if she would have went to America and mm-hmm. gotten hooked into that whole like movie culture, I think it would have corrupted her and she wouldn't have standed tall and she wouldn't have mm. been. Yeah. I think that she was smart enough to recognize that I can dabble here, but I want to be in control. And back then, even more than the movies now and the movie, you know, the big mega movie places, they like owned you. And even that, she was incredibly strong enough to always choose the path that would keep her secure as an independent woman, whether it was her relationships or where she went. And I really remember reading in the book that she was talking about like, oh, and I'm going over the movies. And I was like, "Uh oh, is she going to become one of these, you know, (laughs) movie slobs? And I was so impressed with that. Like, that's hard to push back on and go back over. Yeah, they offered her a lot of money. And I, you know, I know there's a lot of typical stuff, like what if she got married? What if she had kids? Not that that's typical, but it would be, but I always thought like, I remember in the book, I, w- I was really curious, like in that part, I was reading and reading and reading, like, is she going to say? And then she didn't. I was like, you go girl, <laughs> say goodbye to America, you know? <laughs> so I think that if she would have done that, I don't think her legacy would, would have stood. I don't think her business would have thrived. I think it would have just disappeared and she would have just been another one of those people. That's one of the things I think of. Mm -hmm. What about you, Barbara? I think that in the beginning of the book, it talked about that she might have had an abortion with her very first lover in the book, which was um, Etienne. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that had she not, uh, Balsana, had she not had that abortion with Balsana and she had kept the baby, but instead of raising the child, she would have left it to her, either her sister or her aunt, the one that she was closest to, to raise, and then eventually had that child go to school in Switzerland and and learn. And eventually she wanted to, she would have wanted to raise him to learn the business. So when she got into a contract with the Wertheimers, I believe that she would have taken that child, her son, and she would have said, instead of, you know, me taking 10%, 
not only do I want at least 40%, I want you to teach my son the business and I want to eventually leave it to him. And I think had she had that to go for, I think she would have, there would have been a lot of changes that she would have made in her life for the, just to be even more um, powerful, to be even more of a name for herself. I think there was a couple of things that she would have done during the war that maybe she might have stayed away from. Maybe she might've went to the, to the United States and instead of staying in France, because now she had a son, now she had a legacy. Yeah, I think you're right, Barbara. She would have, I don't think people are like, oh, if she had a child, maybe she wouldn't have been successful. I think she was born to to make a path, even mm-hmm. though I said she probably wouldn't have had as, she wouldn't have had as longevity of her name, I don't think. But I think if she had a child, I think she would have cared more about what was happening with her money. Exactly. Where the longevity, what was happening after, what's coming up after, where she just wanted to make sure she was okay, generally speaking. But yeah, I think it would have been better for her. Yeah, she definitely lived for the moment instead of living for the future. You know what I mean? Uh, or, or not, I'm not going to say living for the future, but thinking of the future. And I think had she had had a child, not gotten married, I, I still don't believe she would have gotten married, <laughs> but I believe had she had a child, I think she would have made, there would have been a couple of things that she would have done differently in her, just to solidify not only her name, but her legacy and her financial status. Mm, I think you're right. That makes sense. What about you, Nova? Well, you know, I was a couple things I was thinking, what if? The first is what if she did conceive the child of the Duke of Westminster? Oh. oh. Right? Because she was trying. That's when she finally realized, crap, I want a kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And she spent many years with him and they built this extravagant house and his you know, supposedly his mother was begging her to marry him. And she said she would marry him if she conceived. And one of the reasons why she did not want to marry him is because she knew that there would be responsibilities that would come with having a title of being the wife of the Duke and would giving up her business, quote unquote, all that she was putting into her business for this new role in society without the child, would it be worth it enough to her? She knew that with the child, she would sacrifice anyway. So might as well be married, right? And then what would that, I mean, would she have gone on to create Chanel number five? Would she have gone on to still be the legacy that she is now if she conceived from the Duke? What would have happened to her as it related to her fashion empire? And, you know, would the attention then go to building this new life in the most elite class that she's been dreaming about for her whole life? Like, finally, I've arrived because he was the one person that met up to Boy Capel's reputation you know, but he had a higher title and he had just as much, as much money. And here's this orphan, like, God forbid, an orphan even get into, you know, to mingle with this yeah. class. Yeah. Here's really. Flirting with marriage and then conceiving the Duke's child. Maybe I think she knew deep down inside she could never have a baby. And so again, she was never going to get married. And deep down inside, she would put these, these like, it's like me wanting to run a mile in two minutes. Like, yeah, okay, great. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> <laughs> these difficult, impossible things deep down inside. She did try. I'm not saying that she wasn't trying to have a child, but somewhere in there, she knew it probably wasn't going to happen. So she made that the condition. And with Boy Capel, she made it like we should be equals. But none of those were, I mean, if she wanted to marry him, she would have married him. Mm, yeah. Good point. Didn't. Yeah. She made these incredibly difficult places to get to in order to make, probably in order to rationalize to herself why she didn't get married. Because I think. It's hard to admit that to yourself. Like, I really am an unreasonable person. (laughs) (laughs) 
no, I am a reasonable person. I'm just, these things just aren't working out for me. But like on her deathbed, she really, and those last few years, I think she really realized that it wasn't worth it. She was really lonely. And she had the friends, but the other the friends had their lives, right? They, she had friends, yeah. but they weren't, they were her friends that would come visit, but she, they were already having their own lives. And she was just sitting there alone, you know, really sad. It is sad because when you think of these really notable personalities, what we see is what we read, right? It's just the glitz, the glamour. Right. And all the moments after they've quote unquote arrived, you know, we don't necessarily hear about them hitting the pavement and all this drama and all this pain, you know, getting there. And then, you know, if you ask them, I, I, I'm just curious, was it worth it? Like all the sacrifices you made that made along the way, this thing that you were chasing after for so long, would you have done things differently? And I wonder, you know, how she felt about herself. She was trying to have a child in her 40s. This, again, it was a time period where women were still conceiving predominantly in their 20s. So again, always sort of going against the grain. And how did she feel when, you know, she finally conceded like, okay, I'm not having a child and the Duke is going off and marrying this 20 something year old that she had to prove for him. And then he didn't even, wasn't even happy with her in the end. What a rub. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I think that like, if you think about it, she chose, like, she would always say, remember, she always say like, oh, she loved to have a battle, right? I'm going to fight with the Worthmeyers. I'm going to give up. And then I'm like, oh, let me fight with them again because I love a good battle. Like she chose scenarios to battle. Like, mm-hmm. why would you give 90% of your, you know, perform you away? I mean, yes, it was silly that she did that, but why not like 60%, you know, like in what world did you not create a lifetime hill to climb with them? And then she would settle and then she would battle. And, you know, she never was friends with any other designers. That was really interesting to me. Like, yeah, yes, you can be competitive mm. with people, but also be friends with them. She really never had friendships with any of those people. You know why? Because she was, I don't know. She, I don't know really why, but she had a lot of super famous friends, but none of them were designers. Maybe she was insecure around designers because she was never trained to be a designer. She didn't know how to sketch. She didn't know anything about fabric. I mean, she knew muslin because she grew up around muslin. I bet you that's what it was, Nova. Yeah. She didn't have the real authentic background. She just had the innateness of it. Yeah. And then then when like Christian Dior and that group came along and they're sitting there and they're doing sketches and she's still figuring things out, pinning dresses together. She might've felt a little... um, you know, she just might've felt some type of way about that. You know, her self-esteem might've been hit a little bit. I mean, I would have, I would have felt that way. I mean, I know doing interior design, I don't have any formal background and I have friends that do CAD files and stuff like that. And yeah, I don't like it. I never got the opportunity. Yes. I could go back ladies. Thank you. I'm not going to though. <laughs> but um, <laughs> um, That's my choice. But you know, I do definitely feel like I have that innate ability to do design, but for whatever reason, that's not the field I went into. And I could definitely relate to that. I feel like, gosh, when I'm with a real designer, so to speak, you know, like they at least are putting the paper down and they're doing it in the, well, and don't forget when she first came around, that stuff really was okay. The way she did it was kind of okay. And then as education goes on, just like, like my stepmom was a nurse, she's a physical therapist. And I remember she lost her job because 20 years later, she still could do the job, but people were then getting degrees. And that's probably what it was like for her. So she kept those people far away because they threatened her probably. Yeah, definitely. Makes good sense, Nova. Really good sense. Yeah. Wow. Well, let me ask you guys a question. If you could pick 
one quality about Chanel that you identified with, what would that be and why? I think mine would be just because I'm such a pain in the B-U-T-T. I have really, <laughs> I've noticed, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm 53. I'm not shy about that. And what I noticed is if I look back at my entire life, I have really picked completely complex and unique paths compared to all my friends, you know, homeschooling my kids all the way through. Nobody did that. Or like going to Celebration Florida and and opening up a toy lending library there that everybody was like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. I lived in DeBerry and I wanted to um, get our roads from dirt to paved and like they a newspaper person came out and took my picture with my foot on like the, like the hill to climb. Like, why do I choose in situations where it's a hill to climb? And now we have a nonprofit dance company. Like in what world is that an easy path? You know, it, it just, I've noticed that like, sometimes I'm like, really, really, you're going to do that. You know? And I think it's, and I relate to that's like with Chanel, like she didn't pick easy paths. No, she didn't. You know, and in spite of them, they, she was determined and I, I'm a pretty determined person. So that's the quality I would like to have a little bit more success with it, though. <laughs> like she had <laughs> yeah. a bit more success, but yeah. Along with a few of the villas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So her, her tenaciousness and the ability to do that, I feel like I have that. I relate to that quality, but she just took it to another level. So that's what I would like to just grab what, that little piece that she has that I can feel comfortable with and like, even be more comfortable like she was able to be. That would probably be mine, my pick. What about you guys? I think for me, the, how, so, how chill she is in any environment, in any Ooh. circumstance. Like we talked about, she could go from where she grew up and she can hobnob with the elites, date a duke, they hang out with the Rothschilds like with no problems, go toe-to-toe with just about anyone, get into a field where she's dealing with dance, ballet dancers on one side, having a relationship with the poet and, you know, and just being mm. dealing with people who are into thoroughbreds and just being comfortable. Being a spy, right? Being a, yeah. Just having a relationship with them, with someone who might just be a spy or might just be a, you know, a double spy right? and being okay with that, being in a, in a room for three hours and calmly answering questions like it was an, an everyday situation. You guys, I did that once. Wait, you have to hear this real quick. When I was at university of Florida I borrowed this. I'm not going to get arrested. I'm an adult now, but I borrowed my friend's birth certificate. I will not say her name. And I went to get a fake ID and I went in there. And so they went to hand me the ID. And then the lady goes to me, come with me and pulled it back. And I'm not kidding around. And so I'm 18 and I'm in a back room in University of Florida area in Gainesville. And they're, they're yelling at me. And I said, look, you can either call the police and, or give me my ID because it's me and I'm getting pissed. And they, I held my ground so tight and they they were like we're so sorry and they let me go <laughs> i love it i love it i love it yeah it was crazy <laughs> i was freaking out i think about some of the situations i've been in in my life where i was just like we could do this where like my sister and my cousins are like oh my god we're gonna get in so much trouble chill ladies we got this you know like <laughs> You guys are going to get us in trouble. You know, you got, you know, like stop acting oh, guilty. Man. Stop acting guilty. They won't think you're guilty. Like <laughs> and yeah. even now, like I can go any, like I think about like when I first met my husband's family, my husband was like, you know, this, this, and this. And I, and he thought that it was going to be an uncomfortable situation. And I was just like, I'm loving it. Like I'm quite comfortable. Yeah, bring it on. <laughs> yeah. So I think about like that side of her, I can understand. Yeah. Yeah. So you want, you like that part of her, but I think, 
I'm not positive, but I think what we identify with sometimes is what we, we kind of have that, but like we, mm-hmm. so we relate to it, but it's even like a higher level of like, what the heck? Yeah. 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 So speaking of her chillness, Barbara, how about the scene where she throws this elaborate dinner for the Duke and some of her closest friends right before that masquerade ball? Yes. And then it's time to go to the ball. And she's like, oh, I'm not feeling well. Yeah, I'm too tired. I'm too tired. I remember Where, that. in fact, she knew if she went to the ball, then her reputation would have been smeared. So she did her dining and entertaining with those that counted and very strategically decided to stay back to save her reputation. So she's always one step ahead of everyone. She's amazing. Yeah. Really, really, like, always thinking. I mean, she was definitely, in, even to her death, like, she was sharp as a tack till the day she died, like yeah. literally that day. Yeah. And it was like um, one of the um, the Danish uh, journalists who who would go to these fashion shows. One of the things she said about her was, yeah, her shows may have not have been like the most spectacular, but she always seemed to step ahead, especially in the 30s. Always, she was yeah. saying how she it was like she always knew what was the, what the fashion trend was going to be before she, you know, before it became it. She was, she was a trendsetter herself. I mean, it was just. She was just amazing. Yeah, I like her style too. That's like totally my thing. Like, you know, simple, simply stated. I can't afford her style, but no, yeah, (laughs) it's great. I mean, anybody can wear it and it just, it's really cool. And she, you know, it was interesting. She's, she, she took her style and that simplicity. She would even give credit back to her orphanage always back to that like listen oh, without yeah. that and the smell of the cologne like or the sorry the perfume was the she was like the lie that they would clean me with and the harshness mm. and how it was like even that she was trying to almost recreate that i don't know that time in her life where maybe things were just so simple she wasn't necessarily being abandoned there she was already there and it, there was nothing nowhere to go it's really the only structure that she knew cuz her life as a mistress to businesswoman was really unstructured and unchartered. Yeah, completely. I would say I identify with her ability to reinvent herself and stay relevant, like never sort of concede to, okay, well, this is the only way I know how to do it. And it's the only thing I've been doing. So, and, you know, to go from the hats to the sportswear, knitwear, to pants, to gowns to Hollywood to perfume. Mm-hmm. I mean, she just never stopped creating and never got comfortable in what she created. And I think qualities that I truly admire is her innate and this could have been faked, I don't know, she would have been amazing if she faked this, but her level of confidence. And when she would give an answer to a journalist, it was just a few words, it was succinct, it was powerful, she never questioned, she never said let me take that back and change your mind. She was like, nope, this is it. Men shouldn't wear cologne and women should always wear perfume. You know, it was just like, boom, boom. A woman without perfume is, yeah. I think of that as I spritz myself. <laughs> <laughs> perfume, girl, throw it on there. No, yeah, that's oh, true. Man. It's really true. Yeah, I don't think she faked it. And if she did, she did it for so long, it, was, it became part of who she was. Well, yeah. Like to come from such humble beginnings and be able to, as Barbara said, hang with the, the, the elite of the elites without blinking an eye. I mean, you have to be confident, right? She yeah. was larger right. than life. Like she was just, I mean, sometimes I felt like reading while I was reading this book that she kind of outshined her guests. They were in awe of her. 
She was just so subtly, just so subtle in her aura of just powerful. I mean, it was just so weird how she could be there and still take over the room without even grandstanding. She wasn't a loud person. She wasn't obnoxious. She was just quiet. Demeanor was just so intense. I think she was so sure of herself. Like she just knew who she was and that no one would ever change her. And I'm trying to think we are influenced by our parents, you know, expectations and this, and we're influenced by our peers, our, our significant others. It could be teachers. It could be coaches. It can be, you know, there's all these people around us that we're close to that influence us one way or another. And she was always by herself. Like she never, Mm -hmm. I mean, she had her cousin, Adrian, and, um, you know, she loved her younger sister, Antoinette, but other than Boy Capel, there was no one that really got close to her. Mm -hmm. And so there was no one that she had to sort of live up to, please. I mean, it was literally all about her. Well, she didn't let them. She didn't let anyone near her that she'd have to live up to. Yeah. She kept those people away. So interesting. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I mean, would I want her life? Not if you're lonely at the end, because it's reading a book, but they're just the incredible loneliness she had many of the years. No, so not so much, but um, her journey was pretty cool. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I had no idea all of that was going on behind the house of Chanel. <laughs> no, way, yeah. no way. And then it's still there. It's that's to me is so cool. But it still exists and it's it's there. Whether she wanted, whether that mattered to her or not, because obviously without an heir, you know, she didn't really pay much attention to what happens after she's gone. She rarely talked about her legacy after, but either way, it's still here. And to think of just this woman that was an orphan whose dad basically sucked and his, her mom died, like lived on and made a difference. Mm. It's crazy. Defied all norms. Yeah, women are stronger because of her, her path that she's made, she made the difference for other women. And it may be subtle, but it definitely was there because she paved a lot of the way for us to own our own business. Mm -hmm. And if she can do it, she's, who knows how many people she empowered to do that. Exactly. Yeah. I have one point that I want to leave you guys with, and it was brought up earlier with her, her perfume deal and just walking away with 10%. It is the same family that owns Chanel to this day. So was that intentional? If they owned that much of it, would they care enough to make sure that it lived on, that the name lived on? So just food for thought. Hmm. Well, maybe our listeners will write us back and tell us what they think. Yeah. That yeah. Would be- she was always one step ahead. Remember that. She was yes. always one step ahead. So She really was. Food for thought. So this was so much fun as usual. I mean. Yes. <laughs> I could go on and on talking about Chanel and her life and the craziness. And we didn't even touch on the adventures that she took around the mm. world, like the places that she lived and the homes Ludicrous. she built. And Makes me want to go to Switzerland. And all. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Just these summers. I mean, it was just really, really amazing. But, you know, as Toby mentioned, is all that success worth loneliness in the end? And what could she have done differently? But as a woman, she defied the norms. She broke the rules. She lived for the life she wanted to create and was an entrepreneur at a time where that was not something common for women to be. And she did it unapologetically. Mm, And that's it. Boom. Yeah. Exclamation point. So go Chanel. 
<laughs> yes, definitely. She's, mm, she definitely was just a trendsetter in so many different ways, you know, not yes. just fashion. Absolutely. So we have, again, listeners, thank you so much for joining us. We have our books that are coming up for next time, Proof of Heaven, The Delaney Sisters' First 100 Years, and Neverwhere. So go get those books. Keep up with us because, as you know, we do give major spoiler alerts on the show. We want you to chime in, send us your questions, send us your comments, and so we can share that with our audience as well. It was so much fun again, Toby and Barbara. Thanks, Thanks Nova. time chit-chatting about these provocative stories. I love it. Me too. It was great. Me too. I'm awake now. <laughs> now you're <laughs> Well, next time we're going to be reading questions from our listeners. So we do that on some of our shows. So check us out. We are Tuesday's book club at pinkkangaroo.com. Email us with any questions that you may have and or from the books that we are reading and any comments that you would like us to also read. We'd love to give you a shout out. And am I forgetting anything, guys? Nope. Nope. You're good. Be safe. Be well. Be powerful. Have a wonderful day. Unapologetically powerful. Yes. yes. So that's the takeaway yeah. for today. And this is Nova Lorraine with Tuesday's Book Club exclusively on the Pink Kangaroo Network, where we are a community of wild thinkers. And that's kangaroo with the you guys. All right. Until next time, take care.